welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. And we are right smack dab in the middle of the holiday season, but we decided to go ahead and just do uh, something that we wanted to do. We've been doing (laughs) a lot of requests lately, which is great. We absolutely love requests. Keep them coming. Um, We get to see a lot of things we might not otherwise see when you guys suggest things. But every once in a while, I will just be, you know, kind of off on my own (laughs) train of thought and uh something will come to mind just randomly out of nowhere i actually i have no idea where i came up with this but i was reminded of 1992's sleepwalkers Mm. based on an unpublished story by stephen king uh this movie was advertised as the first Stephen King project that was written specifically for the screen, even though I think that's kind of a lie. (laughs) It was really just a story that he had never had published. But it came out in 1992. I would have been in middle school, probably like seventh, eighth grade. I remember seeing it. I don't think that I saw it in the theater or anything, but when it eventually came around to video and then cable, this was a movie that me and my sister threw into our rotation fairly heavily Mm. it has to have been at least 15 years since i've seen this so um i was interested in uh revisiting it watching it again yesterday for the first time in 15 years um i had thoughts (laughs) (laughs) oh boy what about you todd what's your history with this movie i kind of thought this might be a craig and Kristen staple to be completely honest with you (laughs) i can see that it has elements that appeal to both (laughs) like those other movies you're talking about this movie i always passed by on the shelves there in the horror section with a pretty iconic looking cover but I never once picked it up. I kind of glanced at it and it didn't look appealing to me at the time. And I never saw it before today. And I saw it today. And uh, wow, we're going to have a lot of fun here, I think, <laughs> talking about this movie. I hope so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there are definitely Stephen King elements to this movie. You know, it's kind of set in a small town. You've got this kind of diverse cast of wacky small town characters, which is very Stephen King. But it's, I don't know, a, a little bit different from his other stuff too it's an interesting movie it was uh directed by mick garris who has directed other movies as well but he i think is more well versed as a writer um and he wrote some movies that i really like he wrote hocus pocus batteries not included which was a super cute little movie with love that movie yeah it's it's a good movie Stephen King gets the writing credit. It's it's based on his story. Mick Garris actually wasn't the first director on the project, but Stephen King um, had, I don't know, even know what you call it, like authority over directorial choices. And the original director who was attached wanted to make some changes that Stephen King didn't like. And so they got Mick Garris and uh, <laughs> this is the movie we ended up with. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? What those ori- what those changes were. I, I do wonder. And I don't know. On the one hand, of course, it would always be interesting to see what somebody else would have done with it. But in this case, I kind of like that it sticks with King's vision. Now, Stephen King is a you know, an amazing author. I am a huge fan uh, of his. I've read nearly everything that he's written. But when it comes to filmmaking, sometimes I feel when he has major involvement 
in the filmmaking process, it's kind of a hit or miss kind of thing. Yeah. The only thing that uh, King has ever directed himself was that movie about the sentient machines maximum overdrive maximum overdrive yeah with the <laughs> which which is uh something special <laughs> we should we should probably do that movie at some point but it's so funny that his earliest movies are probably some of his best adaptations aren't they yeah also because well for example and i need to go back and watch them i really liked i remember liking firestarter as a kid but i haven't seen it in ages um, the Dead right. Zone was great, I think. I remember it being great. Carrie was f- phenomenal. Oh, yeah. We liked Cujo, and yeah. I never saw Christine. Good. The Shining, of course, is probably the most iconic, but that has, you know, that diverges quite a bit from his novel. And he hates it, mm-hmm. or, or he, at least historically he's hated it. Um, apparently now with the release of Dr. Sleep, he feels like the film adaptation of Dr. Sleep has rectified for him a lot of the things that he had problems with in The Shining. Oh, yeah. And as and as companion pieces, he now thinks they're really good. So he's kind of pivoted a little bit on oh. uh, The Shining, which is good because, you know, I understand. I, I read The Shining. It's an excellent book. I loved the movie, too, but they are fairly different. Uh, and I can imagine being an artist, having your work adapted you know your your art is your baby and and yeah. to see somebody make changes i can understand how that would be difficult but i'm I'm glad that he's kind of pivoted on that a little bit well and the thing i was thinking about as i was watching this movie is it's it's so stephen king it almost feels like i'm watching a the story being read to me that's how stephen king it is and i could kind of see how i feel like this movie would have read a lot better than it played out on the screen because most of the problems I have with it are how it played out on the screen. (laughs) Like the acting, uh, maybe some of the direction, even the editing, (laughs) like so much of the movie, what's wrong with it, I think has not to do with the story or the plot or even some of the characters and their development or, 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 or any of that. It mostly has to do with how it visually ends up you know as a movie i think well and i think that a lot of that probably has to do with the time oh yeah for sure (laughs) it shows its age i mean it's not like 1992 was 100 years ago or anything but in terms of special effects especially cgi and and those types of things and, and and just some other even practical creature effects it looks a little bit dated and another thing about Stephen King, and as much as I love him, and and this really isn't a criticism, sometimes he takes a little while to get going in his novels. Yeah. And, and I felt like this movie took kind of a little while to get going for me. In fact, the first, I would say, probably almost half of the movie, I was like, oh my God. Todd is going to think this is so stupid. <laughs> but then... You know me so well. But then in the second half, I was like, no, this is fun. I I, I like it. Hmm. Anyway, it's, it's... Okay, so it's called Sleepwalkers. And it's based on this legend, which I... 
I guess Stephen King probably just made it up. I, I've never heard anything like this before, but um, it opens up with this screenshot of a definition from the Chillicothe Encyclopedia of Arcane Knowledge from 1884. <laughs> and it says, a sleepwalker is a nomadic, shape-shifting creature with human and feline origins. Vulnerable to the deadly scratch of the cat, the sleepwalker feeds upon the life force of virginal human females probable source of the vampire legend and that basically just kind of lays it out there for you (laughs) that's what we're dealing with here we're dealing with some shape-shifting feline type creatures who do exactly what the definition tells you they go around uh finding shifting their shape (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) finding virgins and stealing their life force um and it is kind of an interesting take on the vampire lore i think uh it's the opening scene starts out it tells us we're in bodega bay california and it opens up with this inya song uh i think the (laughs) title is bodacia or something like that i i don't know I, i i really like this song it's just this weird kind of humming song <laughs> where Inya just kind of hums the same <laughs> melodic line over and over again but it's it's dark tonally uh, and a little bit sad and it, it, it really sets a mood but we open up on a crime scene apparently and we get the first of many cameos with Mark Hamill as one of these cops investigating this crime scene. I actually did like a double take with this one. I was like that guy, that's not Mark Hamill, is it? Is that Mark Hamill? And I probably spent the entire scene just trying to work out if he really was Mark Hamill. Pretty incredible. And you're right, there's so many freaking cam- cameos in this movie. Uh, you, you can't even imagine. It's insane. It's kind of surprising because ultimately the movie, like, I'm going to talk about how much I like it because I really do. But it's not a great movie. No. And it's pretty amazing that they got so many big name people in general but also you know specifically horror people to cameo in this movie and mark hamill you know i I think that maybe one of the reasons for your double take is um he's still so young here and he's in great shape and he he looks great he's got a mustache (laughs) (laughs) apparently he did this cameo just um i think the same year he started doing the joker the joker yeah, in the batman animated yeah. series probably his second most famous role and um right apparently they actually added this scene later oh i didn't know that yeah after they did the you know the test audience uh thing uh the director basically called in a favor M- mick garris apparently met mark hamill on his first job as a receptionist for star wars so he called in a favor to him for that. It is crazy. They just wanted to introduce the mythos, I guess, of the cat creatures after they had the test audiences and they felt like the scene would, would do it a little better. Well, I don't know if that really is true or not, God, but no. I mean, it, what does it, do? it kind of is, <laughs> it doesn't really do a whole lot. But we find out that uh, a mother and son have gone missing and, you know, the people in the town are very concerned because they were so close. I hope nothing happens to them. Um, (laughs) There are dead cats hung all over the place, which I don't really understand. Like, I hope all these dead cats got hung up just that one night because otherwise... 
wouldn't people have thought that was weird? <laughs> but okay, whatever. So there's these dead cats hung all over outside, and they go inside, and there's silly little jump scare where they hear a cat and it jumps out of the closet at them. And then there's another jump scare where a shriveled corpse falls out of the closet and, you know, it, it's like mummified, like it's all wrinkled and old, but it has a rose in its hair and it's wearing um, braces. And Mark Hamill says, it's a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so, okay, so little girls are in danger apparently and then we cut to the title and then there's a really interesting opening credit sequence where we see a lot of old which seem fairly authentic hieroglyphics dealing with cats and of course we know that the egyptians like worshipped cats and that type of thing so that's expected but then there's also other artwork that i presume is fake where you see like half cat half people and there's one where clearly this cat person is like sucking something out of a screaming girl's mouth. And, and so it's very, very on the nose, you know, telling us what's going on here. And then we get to our main setting, which is Travis, Indiana. And we see this little, not little, actually, it's kind of a big, beautiful country home. And the song from i think the 60s don't don't check me on that but <laughs> sleepwalk is yeah. playing it's instrumental i always remember it from the end of uh, la bamba when you find out that <laughs> richie valens has died that's the song was playing it's very sad but it's actually i, I love that song I, I i think it's great Yeah, it's a nice song it's classic a hot shirtless young man <laughs> i knew you were going to say this <laughs> <laughs> listen he's hot i can't help it i was like now i see why craig chose this movie <laughs> oh come on it's just it's just well i guess I it's not it's just, just that one part it's pretty much just that one part he's a rather attractive guy he is. He's a good-looking guy. His name is Brian Krause. He's done tons of TV. He's probably most famous aside from this. He did a stint on the original uh, series of Charmed. And I vaguely remember him from that. I didn't watch that show religiously, but I watched it every once in a while. He's sitting there and he's looking at a yearbook. Before we even really see specifically what he's looking at, he takes out a pocket knife and carves a T into his arm. And then we see that he's looking at this beautiful girl named Tanya. And he even actually says, Tanya. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's got his eye on somebody already. And of course, we already know what's going on. And then we're introduced to his mother, Mary, who is played by Alice Krieg. I may say names wrong. I apologize. She's really recognizable to me. She has a very severe face. She's gorgeous. Yeah. But she has kind of this severe face. Um, intimidating, I think. Um, she played the Borg queen in one of the Star Trek movies, and she was also the main villain in the Silent Hill movie. I think she's really cool. Yeah, and she was good in this movie. You know, another thing about this movie is it's pretty well cast, I think. Um, you know, for yeah. look and that sort of thing. She looks great for the part. He's great for the part. Um, the girl you're going to start talking about, Tanya, soon, she looks great for the part. And all 
pretty accomplished actors and actresses, even if they weren't at this point, they proved themselves by having like over a hundred credits almost every single oh, yeah, yeah. later. So all of them still working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the acting is good. Now there are times when the writing is not so good where they yeah. just kinda had to go with what they were given. But we meet Mary and we see that she has set up all these like bear traps for cats. And cats seem to be kind of hanging around outside their house and she seems very concerned about that but charles comes downstairs and they have a chat and (laughs) i don't know like (laughs) it's from the very beginning as soon as he says like she's very concerned and he's clearly trying to comfort her or make her less concerned or whatever and he's like come on dance with me And she's reluctant, but she does. And as soon, like the second that they start dancing, I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) 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 they seem like a really close mother and son. Yeah. And uh, so they, they start dancing and they talk about how he has to find a girl i feel like he says maybe he's kind of got his eye on somebody she's interested but he's like are you jealous and she's like no why would i be jealous Mm. and then they make out yeah and then he picks her up and then they go upstairs and fuck (laughs) yeah that was a bit of a shocker to me but then but then they come outside the house and uh they show that the window in the bedroom is kind of glowing and so it softens it a little bit by you kind of realize, all right, these are just not normal people anyway. Like they're right. not even human. Right. So who knows exactly what this mother son relationship is all about. Right. I feel like they made a bold choice to just go there. Like, yeah, it's pretty bold. This is it's, it's an incestuous mother and son and they don't pull any punches about that from the very beginning. Oh, they like, rub it in your face. Yeah. They rub it in your yeah. They have like these love making scenes like that are just like where the can you know the classic camera pans from the dresser down to the floor where they you know their clothes on the dresser and clothes on the floor like like they were tearing their clothes off as they were coming through and couldn't bother uh-huh. to put them away and it's there <laughs> in your face the whole yeah. time. Well, that's the thing. I you know, I didn't even really remember that. And maybe I used to watch this on TV and so I don't maybe they cut it. I don't know, but I remember, you know, the the first part it's not even implied i mean it's in your face he picks her up they go up to the bedroom and close the door but there's not a scene but there is like literally a mother-son sex scene later in the movie and and i think that that's really bold but at the same time it's not like it doesn't make sense i mean these are not humans right i'm not even exactly sure what they're supposed to be monsters demons I don't know, but they are also clearly feline in nature. And as far as I know, now I'm no animal scientist or anything, but (laughs) I feel like most, most animals are kind of a love the one you're with breed. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're not particularly concerned about familial relationships, but it's, it's odd, but at the same time, it establishes that this mother and son are close. (laughs) (laughs) And that I think it's important to establish that. Well, it is. But anyway, so there's that. It's very Stephen King. He likes to do this kind of thing, right? Shock you a little bit. I really liked what he does. 
I liked what came after this, where the camera pans down across this very classic theater. And by classic yeah. theater, I mean like that theater that we had in the 90s and 80s. There was a bit of a holdover from the 70s and 60s that hadn't yeah. redecorated in a while. We come into Tanya, who is a young girl. And at first, I just assumed these were older people. And then you realize they're all high school students being played by older actors dancing uh, with her Swiffer type <laughs> mop sweeper thing in there. And it went on for so long that it was just a little <laughs> a little strange. <laughs> it's cute. It's it's interesting that she's dancing to oldies. Like she's like dancing yeah. to Do You Love Me? <laughs> Do you love me? <laughs> well, at that moment and with the song that we had earlier and that being played on a 45 record player, for a few minutes, uh-huh. I actually thought maybe this was a period movie. Like I was trying to figure the era especially in that classic movie theater. But then you realize, no, it's just uh, there's just all this stuff being thrown in there. But I, I think yeah. one of my biggest problems with the movie was with the editing. And I felt like maybe a lot of what was, a lot of the badness of the performances in here could have been cleaned up by that. And I feel like the first half of the movie moves really too slowly for the simple story that it is. I agree. And all this stuff at the beginning doesn't help it. I mean, I think they're trying to set a tone, but everything is just a little too long. Every scene is just a little too long. Almost every shot, especially in the conversations between between two people, everything could have been tightened up a bit. And uh, this is kind of the first example of that. It's just this really long scene of her dancing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is cute, but it does go on for quite a while. And then uh, Charles shows up. Oh, by the way, Tanya is played by, again, I'm going to mispronounce her name probably, Machin Amick, who, again, is still working. She's incredibly beautiful and very unique, uh, I think, in her look. And she currently is on Riverdale. She was in Twin Peaks. Uh, she did a stint on AHS. So she's been around forever and is still working but uh charles comes in and they flirt and it's very innocent flirting and they're both very attractive very charming both of them very charming Mm. they have really what boils down to a very cute meat cute like yeah it is cute it's very innocent and in fact you know i feel like she is begging to be asked out oh yeah he does but he doesn't at this point. And he later tells his mom because when he goes home, she's like, did you ask her out? And he's like, what kind of girl would go out with a guy that she just met? And the mom keeps asking him over and over and over again. Is she nice? Is she nice? Is Mm. she nice? You know, it's, it's like they are like virtue is important to them. (laughs) You know, like she really has to be not just a virgin, but a good girl, <laughs> a nice um, virgin, <laughs> right? That's it. You know, he buys his pop. Well, he doesn't buy it. She gives it to him because she's thirsty and she's nice. <laughs> yeah, she's super nice. And so that's it. And then her dad picks her up. He reminds her during this that because he, he calls her by name and she's like, how do you know my name? He's like, well, we're in English class together. So the next day we see them in English class and he's reading a creative short story that he's written that literally lays out exactly what they are doing. (laughs) (laughs) The the title of the story I think is sleepwalkers. Yeah. And it tells the story of what the sleepwalkers are and how this kid and his mom, (laughs) 
Yeah, this kid and his mom, and they're outcasts, and they're always being run out of town, and blah, blah, blah. And Tanya really likes the story. Um, the English teacher's name is Mr. Fallows, and he's play, played by Glenn Shaddix, who sadly has passed away, but he will always be Otho to me yeah. from Beetlejuice. <laughs> exactly. So Otho is the teacher, and he's kind of a jerk. This whole scene was really interesting because... Uh, this movie really plays things up a lot. It really heightens the drama and almost every bit of it is a little too overdramatic and a little too cliche. And that, you know, that's another, okay, I'm just kind of going through the list of problems I have with the movie is really early on. We get honed in um, without any question as to this teacher's extreme interest in this boy. You know, he says, the, oh, well, that was a very nice story, blah, 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 blah. And then there's this odd fade out as time passes and all the kids have left and the teacher's still standing there. And he looks through the window outside and he sees uh, Charles, you know, chatting and smiling with some other people. And he has kind of a, a serious look on his face. And I thought, mm-hmm. hmm, that's intriguing. I wonder why he's so interested in him. <laughs> I know why. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't the first thing that came to my mind, to be honest, but uh, we no, do find out later. No, he seems very, he seems very sinister, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, initially. And, and ultimately, he is. <laughs> I, I always heard his name as Mr. Fallis through this whole thing. I guess it's Mr. Fallis. Uh, I heard <laughs> yeah. every single time. I was like, is he really Mr. Fallis? <laughs> that's hilarious i guess that charles gives tanya a ride home that day and she takes him up to her room which i thought was very bold of her (laughs) the first time they met Um, and it's it's a hilarious scene because it's just flirty and cute and like he is acting very innocent but for some reason she has bras and panties strewn everywhere, everywhere. In room. <laughs> like what is happening like did her underwear drawer explode <laughs> i think as a teenage boy this is how i imagined women's rooms were um but <laughs> in this movie it it's really silly because it creates these silly little situations where he's looking somewhere and she's horrified that his hand is right next to a pair of panties and she's twi- quickly trying to usher him away to look at something else before he notices and you know. the other thing that i noticed too that that part that you're talking specifically about where they are like right under his nose they are like these tiny lace panties <laughs> i grew up with this sister girls don't just wear those on a daily basis <laughs> those are like special occasion panties so <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't understand but whatever it's cute it's a funny little joke or whatever yeah you know they talk and and they almost kiss but they're interrupted by her mother who is played by cindy pickett now her parents Mr. and Mrs. Robinson are played by Lyman Ward and Cindy Pickett, who were the exact same parents. They were Ferris Bueller's parents. Oh. And he looks the same. She looks different because in that movie, she had a a really short blonde haircut. And in this, she has a much more suburban, like shoulder length brunette haircut. But they're the same people. They're Ferris Bueller's parents. And I think that they met on Ferris Bueller and then they got married. And then they were in this movie in 1992 
And then also in 1992, they got divorced. I hope it didn't happen because of this movie. (laughs) 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 Maybe it did. (laughs) I'll never be in such a shitty project with you ever again. Right. It was cute to see them back together again. And they're, they're, they're sweet. I was, I thought it was interesting as he's coming down the stairs, she comes up. The mother comes up and kind of interrupts them, and they make plans to go to a Homeland, which is a cemetery in town. Right. And I guess mm-hmm. a little famous for being a makeout point. It's kind of alluded to mm-hmm. when she's talking with her friends and when she mentions it to her mom. But he kind of covers for it because as they're coming down the stairs, he sees that her family has these grave rubbings put up on the wall. Now, that was so weird to me because mm-hmm. I thought my family was the only family that decorated its house with gravestone rubbings. Oh, I didn't know that about you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) We're like the Adams family. Absolutely not. But my parents, when they were living in Europe before I was born, used to actually do this, go out to like graveyards and find these really cool or famous gravestones or whatever, put a giant piece of paper over it and rub it with charcoal or or something uh, and get the imprint. And we literally have these framed on our walls as I was growing up, like in the hallway, like they had it there. And I just could not believe that that was in this movie. Well, I'm impressed with your parents because they looked really cool. I mean, it was kind of out of keeping, like they seem like such a normal suburbanite family Mm. to have something like that, but they actually looked really cool. Yeah, And yeah, he, he makes a connection with the mom. I, I feel like he's just, a charmer, you yeah. know, like he knows how to charm people. And uh, so he talks to her about the grave rub- rubbings. And uh, I, I think he kind of wins her over, which yeah. is smart of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, then there's a scene when he, after he leaves, he's driving down the street and the teacher, the English teacher, Mr. Fallows, pulls him over like he's some kind of cop or something yeah. like he comes <laughs> like he, he comes up behind him in his little like Volkswagen bug. bug. And is like honking his horn and pulls him over and he tells him, I know you're not who you say you are. I looked at your transcripts and they're fake. Charles is like, no, you're mistaken. He's like, no, I know. This is blackmail, Mr. Fallis. I think you picked the wrong guy. This car is the only expensive thing I've gotten and I'm kind of sentimental about it. I don't think I can sell it. I'm through with you generation is so mercenary charles money this money that well money is not the only medium of exchange and he straight up goes like to grab him in the junk yeah and and charles grabs his hand and rips it clean off like i don't even (laughs) how is this possible (laughs) rips it clean off at the wrist and hands it back to him (laughs) And so then Otho takes off running and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, But of course, Charles catches him and kills him. Yeah. And then Charles gets back on the road and gets followed by an actual cop. And this is my favorite part of the movie. Not (laughs) this part specifically, but these characters. And I say characters (laughs) because you've got... Officer Andy Simpson, who is this really charming, funny guy whose partner 
is a cat <laughs> Clovis. And Clovis is my favorite character in the whole movie. <laughs> I love this cute, charming officer and his cat. And like, it's not at this point, it comes later, but Andy, the, the, the cop just like, sing like makes up songs and sings them in his car and they're and they're they're dirty and hilarious oh gosh (laughs) hey clovis hey clovis what's up you catching a nap (laughs) hey there comes johnny with his pecker in his hand he's a one ball man and he's off to the rodeo so, well, I'm in live now, I'm in right, come on, you fucking turkey, get your right foot right, get off the stage, you fucking jerk, you know, you piss me off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just kills me. Okay, so the cop starts uh, chasing him, and, you know, as cliche as this is about to sound, it's very cat and mouse, because mm. Charles is playing with him, like, he wants to be chased like he's enjoying the chase at times. He even slows down to let the officer catch up with him before he then takes off again. And there's a funny thing where like he almost runs down a bunch of school kids on a crosswalk. Like it's super cliche, but it's kind of funny. And at one point the cop car pulls right up next to Charles's car. So like they're side by side, Charles flips off the officer and he's smiling like he's having a great time. But then the cat pops up and Charles freaks out and goes through a Michael Jackson, black or white, like face transformation. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure at the time. It's really weird. At the time, it probably seemed very cool because I, I remembered that video. That video was probably the same year or something. It's He just goes from dog to cat to alien to something else to something else to his face again, all within the span of like three seconds. And it just looks so dated. <laughs> it does. It really, really does. <sighs> But of course, that freaks Andy out. And and eventually, um, now that he's freaked out by the cat, Charles, real quick after like he's gone around a bend or something, pulls over to the side of the road and he has to like concentrate, but he makes himself and the car disappear. I have no idea what the extent of these people's powers are, mm, but really they can ranges. do things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he makes himself and the car disappear. The cop pulls up and stops right there next to him, but of course he can't see him. But Clovis can. Oh my gosh. And Charles is like, he's talking to the cat. He's like, stop looking at me, you fucking cat. <laughs> that was my, my second favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> it's a good one. It is a good one. Oh. But anyway, the cop goes off and he expresses his concern to his fellow cops who kind of just blow him off or whatever. But Charles goes home and Mary greets him and is like, she's like, did you get it? And he's like, no, I didn't get it yet. And then she proceeds to smack the shit out of him for a (laughs) while before realizing that he's got a cut on his hand. Did you know where that came from? I have no clue. <laughs> Was it supposed to have come I don't, from his tuffle with the with the other guy? I, I don't know. Did he scrape his know. hand on a tree as he was running through the woods? But I love it how her house is filled yeah. with candles. 
<laughs> when he comes home. <laughs> Almost every scene in this movie is just either cheesy or campy or borderline stupid. Uh, it's trying too hard in some points. Even when it's a little charming and cute, it, it's it seems so cliche and a little awkward. And I think it, a lot of that has to do with the writing as well. Like when she when when he comes home and she greets him, she's like, "Did you get it? You didn't get it." Is this then after she apologizes to him, they go up and we get the yeah. sex scene between? Well, them? you know, after she sees the cut on his hand, then she just immediately turns and she's the concerned mother again, and and he becomes, you know, like the crying son, and he says, "It's already starting again." meaning that people are already starting to catch on. They're going to have to leave. And he says, we haven't even seen another sleepwalker. And she adamantly says, we are not the last. I can feel the others, which never pans out to anything. I kind of hope no. would find out that there were others around, mm -hmm. but it does do something to kind of highlight the desperate nature of their situation. You know, if, if they really are kind of the last ones, you know, it's a rough gig for them, I guess. And they're also trying to play up this other angle, um, because I think it's during the scene, too, when she says to him, you cannot be in love with this girl, Charles. Yeah. As soon as she said that, I'm thinking he's barely even seen her. Like he met her at the theater. Yeah. He saw her once at school and asked and drove her home. Then they, I was thinking, did they already go to the cemetery? Did I miss that scene? No, they didn't even go to the cemetery. Right. So like it, it, that aspect of the story seems really shoehorned in here. This mother's jealousy, not not her jealousy. Her jealousy was from the very beginning, just knowing that he's going out with some girl. But this idea that he is getting conflicted and falling in love with her just doesn't ring true based on what we've seen you know, in the last 30 minutes. It doesn't ring true as far as storytelling goes, but he plays it. He you plays know, it. like, I, I do believe that it, the way that he looks at her and carving the tea into his arm and stuff, like, uh, I feel like we are supposed to get the impression that he is oh, you think really so? infatuated. With, I think so. Oh, but I, then that all changes. It changes very quickly. Too quickly so, for that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, I saw him as right. a charmer up to this point. Just He was just slick, willy. Like that other movie we did, like The Guest. Remember that? Like uh, just this guy just knows what to say and all the right looks, and he's one of these guys. And this all kind of plays out when they get to the cemetery, which they're about to, but the mom tells Charles that tomorrow you'll go out with her, you'll feed, you'll come back, we'll feed me, and we'll leave. Like, we're going to get out of here. And then you get the not incredibly graphic, but still disturbing mother-son sex scene, mm -hmm. which I feel like was done solely to show us because they pan over from the actual actors engaged in this sex scene. It pans over to the mirror, which shows the reflections, I guess, of their true selves, yeah. like their demons. And their demon selves look really silly. I mean, it's people oh, in big rubber suits. It's terrible. It's not good. I, I mean, if I wore that for Halloween, I'd be really proud of myself. But in a movie <laughs> with a fifteen it million dollar really budget, that well. No, I, right. I read actually that the um, the guy who worked on the cat monster suit it wasn't actually his his original design. There were time constraints. 
Uh, and so he they had a more like articulated version of it and they couldn't use it. So he ended up using these rubber suits, which was, oh man, somebody should have thrown another million at this or something, at least upgraded those suits, especially by the end. By yeah. the time we get to the final sequence when those suits are a major character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a really bad way to end the movie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. Anyway, then Tanya uh, comes over the next day. She interacts with the mother blah blah whatever but they they go to the cemetery now wait just a second craig so we get that scene with them in the mirror so we can see that the mirror reflects their true selves and i thought is this just a device or are they telling us that the mirror always reflects their true selves then during the scene where the daughter comes over to the house and the mother invites her in before they have these giant mirrors in their living room which the mom is parading the girl through and the son is looking with horror at the fact that the mother's true self is in the mirror, and it's kind of a reverse of his of the girl scene with the boy in her bedroom, where now he's trying to distract her so that she doesn't see his mother's reflection in the mirror. Right. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that is an interesting parallel. But this whole thing, <laughs> like... This guy, how do these people go on about at school, out and about, with all these mirrors and all these reflections around them and not be seen? How can they be so cavalier around all of this if the mirror is always showing their reflection? Yeah, I don't know. There are mirrors on their car that don't seem to actually do it. There's, I mean, this seems like it would be a major point, you know, like a vampire kind of thing. Uh, where, you know, you don't see the reflection, but it only comes up in a couple different scenes. Yeah. I hadn't, I, I, I didn't think that much about it. Well, him especially, because he's out living his life. It yeah. doesn't seem like the mom ever in the house, ever. No. <laughs> like, she's too she weak just or stands something. there looking out the windows. Like, she's literally standing around the house looking out the window all the time. As cats slowly come up to the house, like, it becomes a cat magnet. Right, like, house. the cat army is forming, right? <laughs> um, That's right. <laughs> which becomes significant. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the cemetery, and <laughs> there's such a stupid line. Oh, I love this line. This is my favorite line. <laughs> he's got, you know, his paper and his chalk and stuff, and he's like, I better get these out of the way right off. Your mother's going to want to know some rubbing went on out here. Me too, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Oh, God. She is the horniest virgin I've ever seen on film. She is so horny. She cannot wait to get his pants off. She's ready to give it up right here, right now for this guy without Oh, yeah, yeah, she is, for sure. <laughs> and she's, like, taking his pictures. And then, for some unexplainable reason, we see a shot of the car where they parked it. And he he turned it into a different car to avoid the cop. But now it just turns back inexplicably, which is convenient, because then the cop comes and sees it. But anyway, they, like, tussle around on the ground and they kiss and she's totally putting the moves on him like she is DTF then he starts to suck the life force out of her and she gets a little bit uncomfortable and then you know like up until this moment like he was giving her like when she wasn't even paying attention to him he was looking at her longingly yeah. Yeah. Like, it seemed like he was totally into her and then as soon as this happens i mean maybe it's just like the taste of the life force like brought back his beastly urges or something i don't know but from this point on not only does he get very aggressive with her but he also gets like 
all he's a stand-up comedian all of yeah a it's really it's bad well it's a change in his character it's the thing that bothers me the most about the movie i can be down with just about everything else but all of a sudden he's cracking one-liners all over the place yeah. and it's just stupid but i'm proud of her because she fights you know, she scratches his face and you know what he's trying to do. And what he's trying to do is out of the realm of reality. So it makes it a little bit less uncomfortable, but it's very reminiscent of a rape scene. I mean, that's what it feels like. Yeah. With blood. He, You know, he's holding her down. And at, at one point, like she she grabs a corkscrew and she stabs him in the eyeball with it and um, he starts bleeding and he's screaming and then he's like, just look at his shirt. My mother's going to kill me. Oh, um, it, it's ridiculous. And the other ridiculous thing, like he turns like his face turns into like demon cat face and she sees it. And then she knocks him out with her camera and she starts to run away. But then she turns back and is like, Charles. Are you okay? Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, this guy just tried to freaking kill you. Yeah. Like, leave. Who cares if he's okay? Hopefully he's not. But then Andy and Clovis show up. Mm -hmm. And conveniently, as soon as they show up, because they see the car, um, Tanya comes running out. She's like, come on, come on, we got to go. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I'll take care of it. And from behind, Charles stabs him in the ear with a pencil. And it like, and then not only that, but then he falls to the ground and lands on the pencil, which goes further into his head. And then Charles is still trying to get Tanya, but somehow with this pencil embedded deep into his brain, Andy still gets up and shoots Charles in the back. Now, it seems like Charles is virtually invincible. Yeah. None of this stuff is really bothering him at all. Yeah. But he grabs Andy's gun and shoots Andy in the gut. Andy's dead. But then Clovis is pissed. And so Clovis jumps out of the car and attacks Charles. And that clearly hurts him. And like the cat is like on his face, like just like clung to his face and like smoke is coming out of his wounds and stuff. And so eventually once he gets Clovis off of his face, Charles leaves. And so Tanya is there alone in the cop car and she gets on the CB and is calling for help and stuff. And uh, eventually help comes. But I, it's such an inconsequential part of the movie, but I found it actually really sad that after Charles leaves, Clovis goes over and crawls up on Andy's chest and is oh. just meowing. Oh. <laughs> so sad. Craig, I thought this was so corny. I'm so sorry. I just I saw the same scene and I thought, of course you're going to do this in this scene. And I thought it was corny. Look, you're not a pet person. I am. I I'm it. a cat person. Oh, that's true. You are a cat. Yeah, absolutely, person. I'm a cat person. Yeah. <laughs> I, have I thought it was because they had such a cute relationship. <laughs> <laughs> they were like they were like their own little buddy cop movie in this in this 
movie. Wow. I it was Somehow all this this cut through the camp for you. I'm really I'm really kind of beside myself here. I mean, I'm watching this movie this whole time, and even the relationship between these two guys, I'm like, this is so silly. The writing was so goofy. The even the songs he was singing in the car were kind of dumb. I don't know, man. I always thought it was hilarious. Okay. Sorry, I'm not they gonna, were dumb. I don't want to be that guy. If you're driving or if you're driving around in a car all day with your cat, what are you gonna do? True. I would be making up goofy songs okay. <laughs> at some point, like maybe not all the time. But <laughs> okay, so this is where I thought that the movie started to get really good. The first of all, okay, so the cops and forensics and everybody shows up at the scene. And this is where we have like a bazillion cameos. Oh. Stephen King is like the cemetery overseer. Tobe Hooper is there. Clive Barker is there. John, John Landis. Landis. Oh. All just making these tiny one-line cameos. But even just seeing... Stephen King and Clive Barker in frame together. I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, the scene only really exists to do this. I mean, it's yeah. purely and clearly they're just all chewing the scenery. And I thought it was rather awkward, especially this like three minute shot of Stephen King going from one person to another saying the same thing before he comes to the yeah. sheriff who says, get away from me. And then boom, he's gone. <laughs> and again, I love Stephen King and he cameos in his movies a lot. And yeah. he's awful. <laughs> he's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he's terrible. But you forgive it because he's Stephen King and you yeah. know that he's just there for you know, fun or whatever. Yeah. And that's fine. He's the Stan Lee of, of the, of his movies. Yeah. Oh, totally. Of his own. Right. Exactly. Mm. And they take photographs of her bruises cause she's beat up, but getting the pictures taken of her reminds her, she tells them, I took pictures of him, you know, develop the film or whatever. Okay. So, uh, they take her home and her parents are concerned as they would be. And she takes a bath and she has, you know, she imagines him showing up and he's not really there. Meanwhile, Charles, he's in terrible shape, too. And Mary is, you know, just beside herself with concern, trying to take care of him. She says, you know, they're going to be here soon meaning the cops and he's like it's okay we can leave i'll be okay and she says no you're too weak so she makes them she makes them both invisible and she makes the car invisible and the cops do show up and out of nowhere ron perlman is yeah. that his name yeah ron perlman shows up as one of the cops like, like where has he been well i don't like i couldn't understand this either like first was the shock like oh my god ron perlman and then i'm like why are we seeing another cop? We're 20 minutes away from the end of the movie. And suddenly this other cop suddenly has this huge role uh, for the last 20 minutes. He steals it. You know, he's basically upstaging everybody. Yeah, he's a commanding personality. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so they come in. They don't find anybody because they're invisible, so they leave. But they leave people, two cops on guard. Mary kills the guard cops by sneaking up behind them invisibly. Mm -hmm. And then she goes to Tanya's house and just knocks on the door. And she's like, oh, hello, I'm Mrs. Whatever. And I'm Charles's mom. And he couldn't make it. And the dad's like, uh, leave. <laughs> and so this part surprised me because she breaks like a crystal vase over his head and like his 
face gets totally torn up. I don't know if it's supposed to be suggested that he's dead. I don't believe that that would have killed him. And I don't believe, I don't want to believe that it would have killed him because I don't want Tanya's parents to die. She's been through enough and Mm. they're nice. Mm. Um, And I was watching very carefully. There's one point when the mother comes down and she runs to her husband and he's clearly still breathing. So in my mind, he's okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> then Mary talks talks to, I mean, it's all very tense, but she's talking to the mother and she's like, your daughter almost killed my son. And the mom's like, good. I wish she did. I wish you were both dead. And Mary grabs her arm, breaks her arm, and then throws her out the window. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe how brutal this was getting with yeah. these nice, sweet, parents it's true and then she stabs the cop in the back with a corn cob like (laughs) how does that even work you gotta eat your vegetables before what is her line i don't vegetables before dessert (laughs) it's so dumb (laughs) just really dumb and then tanya comes down and she's concerned about her parents i don't even think she sees mary at first then when she does she freaks out but mary just knocks her out and then grabs her by the hair and starts dragging her outside meanwhile like the whole police force has shown up and ron perlman approaches mary and puts his hand in her face and she just grabs it and bites all his fingers off and then breaks his arm and knocks him down and takes his gun and then dirty harry style (laughs) takes the gun and shoots i guess the gas tanks of two cop cars each with one shot blows up both of these cars (laughs) in this little suburban neighborhood and uh hops in one of the other cop cars with tanya and takes her back home to charles now when they get there she throws mary or she throws tanya down next to charles and charles is dead like he's not moving he doesn't seem to be breathing um but she's like no he's not dead he's not dead you know what i bet he'd like i bet he'd like to dance with you so she magically makes the record player turn on and sleepwalk starts playing again it seemed to me based on her performance that she like through her will animated him and at this point he's disgusting like his face is like half demon and it's his eyeballs are bleeding like he's gross and she makes tanya dance with him and then surprise surprise apparently he's not dead because he wakes up and she's like now charles do it now and he starts to suck out the life force but then what? The sheriff shows uh, up? I don't even know, man. I This whole ending was such a mess. <laughs> like, I couldn't pay attention. I had to rewind it twice just to just to catch it all. I thought it was exciting. <laughs> well, well, first of all, again, again, Tanya is a badass. Like, as soon as he wakes up and tries to start sucking her life force, she takes both her thumbs and gouges out his eyes. Like, <laughs> this defense class i am impressed with her yeah and clovis that's who shows up clovis (laughs) the cop does show up and he sees all these cats around and he looks down at one cat and he's like 
Clovis? And then Clovis sprints upstairs, breaks through a window, come downstairs, and attacks Mary. Mm. And then multiple cats start attacking him. And the sheriff bursts in, and he shoots Mary, but that doesn't seem to bother her. She transforms fully into her demon self. And she tries to get Tanya, but the sheriff throws one of those bear traps on her head. But again, that doesn't seem to bother her very much. She picks him up and throws him on the picket fence. So he's out of commission now. And then she goes after Tanya again. But finally, fulfilling their destiny, the cat army makes their move. (laughs) (laughs) And the entire cat army attacks Mary and they're like she's just like dressed in cats at this point and uh she bursts into flames and she's burning and like flailing around she falls to the ground but then tanya's in the cop car mary back in her human form jumps up on the windshield and is like you killed my son you <laughs> killed my only son and tanya puts the car in reverse and moves away and Mary falls back onto the ground and is just burning and Clovis jumps into the car and scares her, but she picks him up and she hugs him and Enya plays (laughs) and the cat disperse. And that's the end. And she says, looks like it's just you and me now, Clovis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Oh God. The writing is so bad in this movie. How many of these lines are we going to get? That's what was fun about it. I mean, making fun of this movie was the fun. I th- <laughs> Supremely campy, horrible writing. So many great people involved in such a bad production. And then at the end, you know, the rubber suits attack each other. And I mean, it's just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> There's nothing, nothing quite right about this film at all. I didn't find it quite as these little moments quite as touching as you did. You're you're opening up aspects of the movie like, oh, I guess that's what they were trying for there. Looks like at least they reached Craig. <laughs> I I gotta tell you, I I swear the first half of the movie I felt was slow isn't the right word because it's not like nothing was happening. It just wasn't particularly exciting or engaging. Oh, it was slow. It was slow. Yeah, I was really worried that, oh, man, you know, I didn't remember this movie. I Todd's not going to like it. It's going to be lame, blah, blah, blah. But then the second half, I really got into it. You know, it was a, cars were exploding and people were getting thrown through windows. And I got into it because it was going so far off the rails. I mean, I've been kind of kind of bored for the la- for the first 50 minutes that the, at least the last 50 minutes even though it was nonsensical and hilarious and totally campy at least it was more exciting yeah for sure yeah i and campy is a good word for it and i like camp i i just do and i thought ultimately that this was a fun movie to watch um it took a little while to get going but i feel like it paid off in the end and i had fun with it And it reminded me why I liked it so much. It is campy. Even the goofy stuff, like Charles's one-liners in the cemetery, like it's so stupid. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you just roll with it, like it's kind of funny. And the way that it's delivered, I felt like it wasn't taking itself too seriously. Um, They knew what they were doing. 
Well, it's like we said, though, at that point, the tonal shift was so strong. I wondered for a moment, like, is this actually supposed to be a horror comedy and they're just now getting around to it? Uh, but I don't really feel like it keeps that up throughout. So it it's, true. it's hard for me to give them too much credit for that. <laughs> I'm, you know? Yeah, yeah. It is a little uneven tonally. I will say that. Um, is it a serious, scary movie? Is it a comedy? Is it supposed to be some like deep Oedipal thing that I don't get? <laughs> um, I don't know, but yeah, I liked it. And when my sister's in town for the holidays, if we've got a spare minute, I may say, Hey, you want to watch this? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny and it's simple and it's a no brainer. And I like that kind of stuff every once in a while, just goofy entertainment for entertainment's sake. And the, the effects very much dated, but everything else is competent. The acting, well, except for maybe some of the writing, mm, the writing um, and the editing, the, I would the, say the, the mm. acting is competent The I felt like the cin- cinematography wasn't anything special, but it was, it didn't look bad. I felt like it was competent. I even thought that it's a unique idea. I know that there are, there is that movie like cat people or the cat people or yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. I've never seen it. Um, so I know that this isn't a hundred percent unique, but it's, and, and it's not entirely different from e- either like a vampire movie or a werewolf movie. So it's mm-hmm. not like it's entirely unique, but I've never seen this particular kind of mythos explored on screen and that's true so it's different i like when things you know when people kind of go outside of the box okay and so for that reason i would recommend it but i get it it's not a great movie i get that (laughs) well if nothing else it's a fantastic display of uh, early 90s CGI morphing effect technology. <laughs> I, I can't say I would recommend it to anybody unless you're looking to watch a So Bad It's Good movie. If you're looking to watch a So Bad It's Good movie, this is one of the best we've seen. It really is. And plus, you get the added bonus of seeing so many famous people involved in it and all yeah. of these really cool cameos. So, you know, you throw all that together, it is a fun ride. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable in that way. But don't come to this thinking that you're going to see this awesome, scary movie that's going to where you're going to be so scared you're not distracted by the stupidity of it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't really think it was scary. I mean, there were some tense moments at the end, but uh, I didn't think it was particularly scary. But any ultimately, I, I'm glad that you didn't feel like it was a waste of time. Or oh, God, no. Whatever. We've seen too much okay. shit for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. We really have. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> More shit coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Like I said, one way or another, we've definitely got some more reviews coming your way. Of course, as always, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to drop us a note on Facebook or Messenger or on our webpage, it's always fun to hear from you and we try really hard to get back to you as often as we can and we love hearing uh, your thoughts and your suggestions Uh, if you did like this episode you can find all of our back episodes all over the place on google play stitcher itunes on our our website just google two guys in a chainsaw podcast you'll find us but until we meet again i'm craig and i'm todd with two guys in a chainsaw